My name is Emily Jones. I'm the kids director here. I'm going to read our passage for us this morning. And I remembered to introduce myself this time, so bonus. It's from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. As Edward said earlier, uh, likewise, if I have never met you before, we'd love to get a chance to say hello to you today. Uh, So please come up and say hi uh, before you leave this afternoon. But it's good to gather together on a beautiful uh, fall Sunday morning. And just grateful that we uh, are able to enjoy nice weather, especially since it's been raining so much. I had a great time yesterday at the Sojourn Family Picnic. For those of you that weren't able to join us, we missed you, but it was an awesome time just being outside for a bit, having some food and fun together. Uh, But I'm looking forward now to jumping into Philippians with you this morning. Uh, So let's go ahead and pray and ask God to bless our time in His Word. And so would you pray with me now? Father, we come before you this morning, and we're grateful to be able to gather together. But I know that in a room with this many people in it, that there are people coming to gather this morning from all different places, coming off of difficult weeks, challenging weeks, gone through relational difficulty, challenges at work, sickness, struggling in some way. Lord, there's some of us coming in the room this morning that are coming off pretty good weeks. Maybe we heard some good news or we're encouraged by something going on in our life or just had a a good week with family and friends or in school. But Lord, I know that no matter where we're coming in this morning, that you've brought us to be here today. And so we give you thanks for that. We rejoice in that. And we just ask that in this moment now, as we open up your word, that you would help us to not be thinking about anything and everything else that's been going on in our life this week, everything that's going on in the week ahead that's coming up, but we would just in this moment be focused now, even with the murmurings of kids coloring and laughing and talking, that we'd be able to focus our minds and our hearts on what you would have to say to us through your word this morning. And so God, I just ask you simply that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would do both an encouraging work, a challenging work, a convicting, a transforming work in our lives this morning. Holy Spirit, work in this time for your glory and for our good. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you know this about me, that I love baseball. And yeah, I know, some of that's surprising to some of you, but... And, uh, I, and, and in particular, I really like the Washington Nationals. And, and it's, it's one of those things, I know some of you, you think baseball is boring. Uh, but my family, our whole family, really enjoys baseball, both uh, watching games at home or going to games as well. And so just this past week, uh, myself and a few guys from Sojourn went out to a game on Tuesday night. And on Tuesday night, Max Scherzer took the mound. Now, you may not know who Max Scherzer is, and that's okay. He's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. And he was coming into that game probably for the last time this season, and it was a potential night for history to be made. 
Because Max Scherzer was coming into this game having struck out 290 people over the course of the baseball season, which meant he was just 10 shy of hitting that 300 mark. Now, if you don't much know much about baseball, quite all right. But you need to know that striking out 300 batters in a baseball season is something that only 16 other people have done in the last 118 years. And the last time that happened in Washington, D.C. was in 1912. And so this whole crowd is sitting around waiting to see, is he going to do it tonight? So as every Marlin player stepped to the plate that night, we're kind of waiting. Is this going to be another strikeout? Is this going to get closer to 300? And it was kind of funny because even when another out was made through a ground out or a pop fly, the crowd kind of moaned over it like, oh man, like they got out that way instead of a strikeout. Was he actually going to be able to do this? At the top of the seventh inning, he was only two away from 300. The first batter came to the plate, struck out one away. The second batter came up to the plate and was battling, fouling balls off left and right. It was a long pitch count, but finally he got that strikeout and hit the 300 mark. And so the crowd goes crazy, excited that he actually did this, and we got to see it happen right in front of our eyes. History made that evening. Well, after the game was over, uh, what typically happens is they'll name a player of the game. And of course, that night it was Max Scherzer. And normally what happens with the player of the game is they'll actually interview that player on the field. But as we were walking out of the stadium that night, I was looking to see, thinking they were going to talk to him, but he wasn't around. Maybe he'd already gone back into the clubhouse. And so who they interviewed instead was the catcher. And I thought for a minute, like, that's weird. Like, why are they talking to the catcher tonight. But as I thought about it more, it made total sense to me. See, in order for someone to get to 300 strikeouts in a season, it isn't just the work of the pitcher, but this duo of the pitcher and the catcher. See, the catcher is the one who actually calls the pitches, telling the pitcher to throw a fastball or a slider or a curveball or a changeup. And he's thinking about the batter that's coming to the plate and where that batter's positioned and where he should be positioned behind the plate in order to maximize the possibility of a strike and a strikeout. It's the pitcher who then executes those pitches, and so they have to work together. Both are important. Both are necessary. No one could reach a milestone like this in their career without the help of the guy behind the plate. What we saw on that Tuesday night wasn't just an awesome part of baseball history. It was a picture of partnership, working together for a common goal. And that's exactly what Paul seeks to encourage the Philippians and us with in our text today. But as we'll see, this isn't just any kind of partnership. It is a joyful partnership. A joyful partnership that is rooted in the gospel. And my hope is that as we talk through these three short verses today, that we'll be both encouraged and challenged to consider how we view the local church and how we view ourselves, this particular local church, and what it looks like for us to move forward together to the glory of God. Now, for some of you here this morning, maybe you're new to the area or you're looking for a church community to be a part of. For others of you, maybe you haven't been to gather with a church for a really long time. And for still others of you, maybe you've never gathered with the church before. And if you fall into any of those categories, just know that I'm thankful 
that you're here this morning. We're thankful that you're here. And I hope that as we walk through this text this morning, that you will see the beauty of what it looks like and what it means to be connected to a body of believers, of people who are seeking to know Jesus and follow Jesus. Church, I'm excited and hopeful that if we heed God's word, if we listen to what he has to say to us this morning, I'm hopeful and excited about the fruit that could be born out in the life and through the life of our church as we seek to be faithful together. So let's go ahead and dive into Philippians chapter 1 this morning, and may God bless the preaching of his word. As we come to our text today, it's really a part of a larger section in chapter 1, a section that probably if you look at your Bible in front of you, has a subheading, and there's kind of a group of verses there. And so verses 3 through 11 really all fit together. And so what we're going to do today is, as you heard read already, we're just going to go through uh, three verses this morning. And so this is really kind of a, a part one to a two-part sermon that we'll, we'll catch up on or pick up the rest of next week as we gather together. And there's really two main points this morning for what we're going to walk through, and it's the title of the sermon, Joyful Partnership. Those are our two points, Joyful and Partnership, and they're connected with one another. So let's look at the first one, Joyful. You know, one of the first things that we learn about from this text isn't the Philippians, but Paul himself. And what we see about the Apostle Paul is that Paul is a man of prayer, He's a prayer. He, he spends time going before the Lord in prayer. But when he does so, his prayer is filled not just with requests, but with thanksgiving. And what he gives thanks to God for isn't things. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if you kind of reflected on or evaluated what you give thanks to God for, I would guess that for a lot of us, what we thank God for most often are things. A blessing that God's given to us, a job or something like that, or that he's given us resources or food to eat, things, things of that nature. But what we see Paul doing here is instructive to us. He gives thanks for people, and in particular, this group of people he cares so much about, that he loves and cares for deeply, this Philippian church. And what we learn is, is that when they come to mind for Paul, and it seems that that happens often, even though he's not present with them, he's currently sitting in a jail cell for preaching Jesus, that the Philippian church comes to mind uh, for him often. And when they do, when he remembers them, he doesn't come before God complaining about them. He doesn't come before God groaning over them. He doesn't even just come to ask God to do something for them or in them. He thanks God for them. And he in turn, prays for them, bringing requests on behalf of the Philippians before God. He's asking God to work in their lives, but he does so with the word that we just talked about, with joy, with joy, a theme that is going to come up over and over again through this letter. Now, what is joy? Well, joy is an emotion, but it's, it's more than that. It's an attitude. If we go to Galatians chapter 5, we learn that it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's, a, it's the ability, the delight, the desire to see good even when circumstances aren't good. And so that's something the Spirit enables us to be able to do within us, that the Spirit enables us to trust not in the circumstances or even in people, but to trust in the goodness and loving kindness of our God. 
And not just trust that, but rest in that. Celebrating that. See, Paul has joy, not because his circumstances are great. Remember, he's in prison. Paul has joy, not because his circumstances are great. Paul has joy because his God is great. And he sees him at work in the lives of this little church. See, this is a challenge and an encouragement to them as well. But it's also a challenge and an encouragement to us. As we evaluate our own lives, as we evaluate our attitudes, particularly towards our circumstances, our attitudes towards God, our attitude towards others that we have relationships with. So let me ask you a question this morning, something for you to think about and evaluate in your own life. Do you pray often, not just for yourself, but for others? Do you pray often for others? And if you do, can you say that you do so with thankfulness and joy for them? I mean, church, what a privilege it is that you and I, if we are in Christ, can come before God, not just to make requests known to God about our own lives, and that is good and right for us to do, but that we have the privilege of going before the living God of all creation and praying for someone else, bringing someone else's name before God, bringing their requests before God, giving thanks to God for them. What a joy, what a privilege that we have. Do we see it that way? You see, God is continuing to challenge me in the area of just being grateful and thankful for the gifts of grace that, are, that happen in life, and even the small things. Not just waiting to give thanks to God for something that's clearly enormous and huge, but even just the small things. As a staff team and as elders, we often try to begin meetings by sharing something that we are grateful for, something we can give thanks for. And sometimes that's easier than others because it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be discouraged in life. It's easy to be discouraged in ministry. And while things are, that are, there are things in our life that are legitimately discouraging, what I don't want us to see now or at any point walking through this sermon series that we're calling Rejoice, talking about joy, is that this is kind of a, a kind of a grin and bear it kind of thing, like happy, happy, joy, joy, like I just got to put on a smile, like everything's great, because sometimes things aren't great. That's not what he's talking about here. This is that deep abiding joy in God, knowing that he is sovereign and good over all things, even when the circumstances I find myself in may not be that way. Paul's sitting in a prison, thankful for the Philippians, and he prays for them with joy. You see, what we need to recognize, I need to recognize in my own life, in life and in ministry, is that there's so much to be thankful for, so much that's a source of joy. And as I was reflecting on that this week, the thing that came to mind for me was you. And when I stop and think about who God has brought to be a part of this church over the last six years and what he's done in your lives over the last six years, it gives me joy. I'm grateful that I've been able to be a part of that. It's the Lord's kindness to us as a church. It's the Lord's kindness, kindness to me. And so thankfulness really is a discipline. It's something I need to continue to work on, continue to grow in, to see evidences of grace in your life, how God's continuing to move you from one degree of glory to another to make you more like Jesus, and in that, to respond by giving thanks to Him for it.
God, thank you that you're growing these brothers and sisters in Christ. And at the same time, praying that God would continue to lavish his grace upon you, helping you become more and more like Jesus. I want to continue to grow in praying for you, both for the good things and the challenging things going on in your life. See, Paul says he gives thanks for the Philippians and he prays for them. In another translation, it says that that word prayer, he's giving supplication. He's asking God to do something for the Philippians. And he says he does that every time he remembers them. So you know what's something that I do for some of you is that I have reminders go off on my phone, my computer throughout the week to pray for you. Specific people in our church who are going through difficulties or challenges to, to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, thank you for reminding me. Thank you for technology that reminds me to pray for this particular person who's struggling right now. Or to pray that God would use that particular person in their workplace because they, they want to share Jesus with the people they're working with or with their family members who are there that don't know Christ. It, it reminds me, it brings you to mind for me so that I can pray for you. And I want to lift you up before our God and King. As elders, we often spend one of our meetings each month going through the membership list and praying for a handful of members each time. Brothers and sisters, it is a joy to be one of your pastors. It's a privilege for me to be one of your pastors. And I, and I know I can speak on behalf of our other pastors as well to feel the same way. See, whether things are challenging or great, we are joyful because we're seeking to delight in the good things that God is doing, trusting in the goodness and loving kindness of our God towards us, celebrating his kindness and faithfulness to us as a community. But just like Paul, our thankfulness, our joy for you, it's not baseless. It's not just like, well, I guess I should be joyful, so I'm going to kind of grab at things to be joyful for No, it's rooted in a meaningful reality that's both personal for Paul and a part of God's bigger story in the world, which leads to our next point, partnership. Look at verse 5 again. Paul said in verse 3 and 4, I thank my God for you, I pray for you, I do so with joy. Verse 5, because, because. There's a a reason for that, a cause for that. It's not just kind of this disconnected thankfulness, this disconnected joy. It's rooted in something. But my guess is for most of us, when we hear the word partnership, what comes to mind for us is kind of a business relationship, right? We have business partners. We have colleagues at work. We have a common goal we're working towards. Those are all right definitions of partnership. So is that what Paul's talking about here? See, the word partnership has come to mean something different in Western culture than what Paul meant by intentionally using this word. In the original language, this same word here that's translated as partnership into English for us can also be translated as fellowship or communion. And so what we have to see in this when we see this word partnership is that at its core, it's relational in nature. It's relational in nature. But if you've been around the church for a while, or especially if you grew up in the church, and if some of you did and some of you didn't, but if you grew up in the church, the word fellowship, I would guess, oftentimes for you comes to mean coffee and donuts. Right? I mean, the church that I grew up in had a building, and the bottom floor of the building, there was a room. And it was called the what? The fellowship hall. 
right? Like once you enter into that doorway, that's when fellowship can happen because it's potluck and party time. Now, don't get me wrong. It's good to eat together. It's good to have food together. It's good to share life with one another over a meal. We did that yesterday at our picnic together as a church. We should be spending time gathering together, breaking bread together, celebrating that, inviting others into that that don't yet know Jesus to do those things together. But is that all that Paul's talking about here? Like, hey, go to the fellowship hall and have some strange thing that somebody brought. I hope it's good. Is that what he's talking about here? No, this idea of partnership, this idea of fellowship is much more far-reaching See, what Paul's thankful for, the reason he has so much joy as he prays for the Philippians is because he's celebrating a deep commitment to one another. A deep commitment. And it's a commitment to one another and a commitment to a common goal and a common gospel. See, church, we need to understand something about Paul. Paul's singular passion is the gospel. I mean, if we read through the New Testament, we see that over and over again. He's literally sitting in a jail cell for preaching the gospel. Now, when I say gospel, what do I mean by that? The gospel is the good news that God has made a way for you and I to be reconciled to him. Our sin, our rebellion, where we have asserted ourselves as the God of our own lives, the Lord of our own lives, has separated us from God. What you deserve and what I deserve is eternal separation and bearing the wrath and death that comes because of our rebellion. But the good news is is that God's made a way. We just sang about that. But God, being rich in mercy, made a way for you, for me, to be reconciled to him. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, a life that you and I cannot live, and then went to a cross to die a sacrificial death to be a substitute for you, substitute for me, to take on that punishment for sin. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day to give us life forevermore so that we would no longer be separated from God, but eternally with him. So when Paul says the gospel, he's talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished. So let's ask a question in the text then. How are the Philippians then partners in the gospel? Well, it's multifaceted. They're partners in the gospel first and foremost because they also, like Paul, have been saved by the gospel. They once were separated from God, but God rescued them. We talked about that last week as we looked at Acts 16 briefly to see kind of the birth, the beginning of this church community in Philippi. They were saved by the gospel. They're partners in the gospel also because they're being transformed by the same gospel. Church, we never move on from the gospel. The gospel not only saves you from your sin, it also sanctifies you. It makes you more and more like Jesus. We never move on from the grace of the gospel, and so they partner with Paul in that they're being transformed by the gospel. And lastly, they partner with Paul in that they share the gospel. The gospel is not a message for you to kind of hold to yourself and never tell anyone about inherently what it is is a good news to be shared with everyone around you. And so Paul says, you've been partners with me in the gospel from the first day when that church first started, when Lydia placed her faith in Jesus, when her family came to know Christ, when the slave girl was, the demon was taken out of her and she came to know Jesus, when the Philippian jailer trusted in Christ and his family trusted in Christ. That's the first day. 
Paul's saying, until now, a decade later, we are still partners in the gospel. And for that, I give thanks. For that, I have joy. See, joyful partnership in the gospel is not a business relationship, but a family relationship brought about by the person and work of Jesus. It isn't a club. It isn't an association. It isn't an affinity group. It's a bunch of men and women who were once dead in their sin, but have now experienced new life in Jesus and have come together in commitment to their Savior in commitment to one another to advance the gospel in each other's lives and to the ends of the earth. Simply put, partnership in the gospel is about being saved and sent together as disciples who make disciples. It's working together to proclaim the good news of Jesus, and it's working together to live according to the good news of Jesus. But I don't want us to miss something here. This kind of partnership isn't something you can do from a distance. It's not something you can do from the sidelines. It's not something that you can phone in. It requires an all-in mentality. Because when the world around you is pressing in, when the world around you is seeking to pull you apart, it's critical for you and for me to know that I'm not in this alone. I'm not in this alone, but there are a group of people there for you And you are there for that group of people. See, what Paul gives thanks to God for, it has joy for, what he's encouraging the Philippians with is so important for us as well because we still find ourselves in a world that is set against God and set against his ways. A world that continually and constantly calls you to follow your desires, to pursue your personal preferences and pleasures without consideration of the ways and will of the king of creation without consideration of those around you. And so I want us to see that this encouragement to the Philippians is a call to us as well, a call to partnership in the gospel, joyful partnership in the gospel. See, it's a text like this that is one of the reasons why we practice covenant membership as a church family, why we believe it's so important. See, church membership is not about moving your name from one list to another list. At its most basic level, church membership is a commitment to the gospel and to one another. And when we take it seriously and we pursue it meaningfully, it's a statement, it's a declaration to one another to say, I am for Christ and I am for Christ in you and I'm not going anywhere. I'm for Christ and Christ in you and I'm not going anywhere. Gospel partnership, fellowship, membership is a tangible expression of a spiritual reality that is redeemed followers of Jesus. We are all a part of, we are members of the global body of Christ, Jesus being the head, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12. And we understand and we believe that as a part of the global body of Christ, we are called to display the glory of God to the ends of the earth, but that that is done most clearly by, in, and through the expression of and the commitment to the local church. When I say local church, how am I defining that? The local church is where the gospel is preached, where the gospel's implications are lived out, and where making the gospel known to the world is paramount. And where a group of people have committed to God and one another to see those things realized. 
And so that means that healthy partnership, that is joyful partnership, isn't rooted in some superficial commitment, but a genuine commitment, a genuine desire to see the gospel flourish in the lives of every person in our church. That's why at Sojourn we make a covenant commitment not to an amorphous organization, but a group of people, a family. We say to one another, we look to one another and say, I want to be all in with you and I want you to be all in with me. I want to help you become more like Jesus and I want you to help me become more like Jesus. I want to help you pursue holiness and I want to help you, I want you to help me pursue holiness. I want to give sacrificially and serve sacrificially, and I want to help you do that too. I want to reach my neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I want to do it with you. These are the kinds of things that give Paul joy, that made him thankful for the Philippians. They were committed to one another, and they were committed to the gospel and its advancement in their life and their community from the first day until now. And it's these same kinds of things that give me great joy as well. I love hearing when I chat with Edward during the week and we meet up, just hearing about meetings that he's having with different people and just what God's doing in your life, that people are growing in Christ-likeness and we're seeing sin entanglements just crushed under the truth and the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, that gives me joy to see you and hear about you growing in Christ. It gives me joy knowing that there are brothers that are getting together early on Friday mornings just to read the Bible together. It gives me joy knowing that there are ladies that are texting one another with encouragement and truth as you seek to fight for joy in the midst of the main, mundane parts of life and the challenging parts of life. It gives me joy to hear about times when people are just serving one another, whether that be through providing food or finances or shelter to one another. It gives me joy knowing that there are groups gathering to pray over someone who's suffering in some way. It gives me joy to know there are men in our church that really desire to love and lead their families well, but can easily look at one another and say, I have no idea what I'm doing. Would you help me? And brothers want to encourage one another in that. It gives me joy to know that there are some 15 people who have signed up so they can learn and grow to serve and encourage and help one another do the hard work of heart work through discipleship and soul care. See, church, it gives me joy to know that it's not just about what we do on a Sunday morning as we gather together, but how you're engaging one another all throughout the week. And that's just from my vantage point as a pastor in this church, but I'm also a member of this church. I don't exist. None of our pastors are kind of separate from the membership body of this church. We've covenanted with you, and we are thankful that you've covenanted with us as well, just as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I've been the recipient of many things that have been just Uh, produce joy and thankfulness within me just as a member in this church my daughter Emery was in the NICU for three weeks three years ago and during that time there were brothers and sisters in our church that rallied together to contribute some money so that we could bring somebody into our home to help out around the house with our kids and just stuff around the house to serve our family as we were going through a challenging time and on the most difficult night of probably my entire life I had three brothers not text me Bible verses, not say they were praying for me, and those things are good and right, but who literally showed up at my house and said, we're outside and we're coming in. And they came and they just sat with me. Man, church, never underestimate the power of presence in each other's lives as an expression of your partnership to one another. 
Paul had joy because he has amazing partners in the gospel. He was sitting in a prison cell, but he knew there was a church that loved him as much as he loved them. Joyful partnership in the gospel is the only way for a church to survive the trials of an imploding culture that exists all around us. An imploding culture that doesn't know up from down or dark from light. But see, when we actually and truly partner together, we can call one another to continue to walk in the light. And then we can invite the world around us out of darkness into that light so they can experience resurrection and restoration and redemption just as we have in and through Jesus. And so we can invite them in to be a part of this family as well. Listen, we are not meant to do life alone. We're not meant to do life alone, and we're not meant to do it in functional isolation. When I say functional isolation, I mean that you may be sitting around a group of people this morning, but as you look around, you realize nobody knows you, and you don't really know anybody else. That's just as challenging, just as dangerous as real isolation. We can't live life that way because it's not part of God's design for our lives. God created us to be in relationship. God created us to be in community. And if we're going to be faithful to his plans and his purposes for our lives and for our church, it requires commitment to one another, but commitment that's rooted in God's commitment to us, that he's shown us and made clear in and through rescuing us from our sin and ourselves. It's why we've said that the only way that we will continue to exist as a church is if we embody an every member ministry culture of disciples making disciples. Simply put, all of us being all in. So listen, if you've been looking for a family, looking for a community to be a part of, we'd love for that to be here with us at Sojourn. Not because we want to make much of the name of Sojourn, but because we want to make much of the name of Jesus. And if you're in college right now, you may be thinking, well, I'm only here for a few years, four years, five years, maybe some of you six years. I don't want you to think that, well, I shouldn't, I just kind of, you know, I'm just going to do this church thing, kind of hang out a little bit. I don't really need to commit to anything. Man, I want to invite you. We need you. We want you to be all in with us as well so we can be all in with you. Maybe you're only here for a temporary assignment for work right now. You're two years and then you're going to roll out. Don't think that's an insignificant amount of time. God could do huge things in you and through you as we partner together in the gospel. For those of you that have been a part of Sojourn for a while that are striving to do this, man, I praise God for you. You're a gift to this church. You're a gift to me personally. I rejoice in that and I want to encourage you to rejoice in it as well. Would you just take some time this week to give thanks to God for this community that he's called you to be a part of. And then let's ask God, God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use my gifts and the abilities you've given me to help our church thrive, not just survive, but thrive and be faithful to what you've called us to? And maybe for some of you, you've been around Sojourn for a while, but you haven't been doing that. Can I just encourage you this morning? Move in. Move closer. And in that, find a, a renewed joy in your commitment to Jesus and his people. Listen, we're going to mess up along the way. It is messy to be in committed community with one another. And so we will offend one another. We will hurt one another. We will sin against one another. We will say unloving things and unkind things. We will do unloving and unkind things. Why is that the case? Well, because God's still working on us. 
Jesus hasn't come and brought us home yet. He hasn't made all things new yet. He's still working on us, and we're going to find out a little bit more about that next week. But it's messy to be in community with one another, but it is absolutely necessary. And so we stick with it. If we are going to have joyful partnership in the gospel, we need to remember the gospel for ourselves and for one another. And so we repent, and we resolve conflict, and we give forgiveness, and we lavish grace, and we believe the best about one another, and we bear with one another, and we encourage one another towards that which is infinitely better and greater than anything else, knowing and following Jesus. In short, we really believe that we are better together than we are alone. Paul has joy, he has thankfulness for the Philippians, even as he sits in prison. Not because the Philippians got everything right, but because the the grace he sees at work in them and their commitment to see that grace lived out in relationship with one another and the world around them because of their partnership in the gospel. And the same thing is true for me. I rejoice, not because you guys get everything right, not because I get everything right, but because together we are committed to Christ and Christ in one another. And for that, my friends, I am so, so very thankful. As we come to the communion table now, we come to celebrate and rejoice in Jesus, what he's done for us. And we practice communion every week as a church because it really is the first application of the preached word of God. It's our first response to God's word preached over us. And so today, as you come forward, rejoice in the fact that you don't come to the table alone. But did you come with a group of blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ, partners in the gospel? Man, give somebody a hug today. Say thank you, a high five, a fist bump. Man, I'm glad you're here. Look to one another and celebrate that. We've been brought together, not because we're all the same. We've been brought together because Jesus chose to bring us together for this time right now. And so as you eat the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for you, and drink the cup, a picture of Christ's blood shed for you, give thanks to God that he saved you, not merely as an individual, but he saved you into a community, a family of redeemed brothers and sisters. And may this meal encourage you this week to pursue Christ together until Jesus returns or calls us home. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion. And the reason for that is because as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, what we're doing is we're declaring that we trust in Christ, that he is our only hope. And so if you're not there yet, if you don't yet haven't yet given your life to Christ and placed your faith in him, then I would just invite you to hang in your seat, but I want to invite you to Jesus. There's no better time than right now for you to place your faith in Christ, for him to save you from your sin. And so if you've never done that, but you know that God's calling you to himself, would you just pray that to God and ask him to do that? But I also want to invite you to this community because we'd love to journey with you in that. We'd love to partner together with you in the gospel because we need you And you need us so that we can be faithful to what God has called us to. And so if you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus or you want to learn more about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, let somebody around you know that. We'd love to journey with you in that. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the back. Tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink, and let's rejoice together in what God has done and is doing. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for 
our time in your word this morning. And so this morning as we close, I just want to give a simple prayer, put a prayer, a simple prayer with profound implications. God, would you just help us to be a thankful people? Would you help us to be a prayerful people? Would you help us to be a joyful people? Help us embrace and pursue in that then genuine, joyful partnership. God, we need each other. Thank you for the gift of grace that this church is in our lives. May we never take that for granted. May we rejoice in what you have done. But God, we step out in faith and in hope that you will continue to do things in us to mold us and shape us to be more like your son and to make much of him in Fairfax and to the ends of the earth. So God, may we glorify you together by being disciples who make disciples, not for our glory, God, but for yours and yours alone. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Come forward whenever you're ready.